the people walking in darkness. Have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you here, uh, here in the room. Those of you who are joining us online, so glad that you're with us today as we enter into this Christmas season. And some of you entered in a long time ago. I know that. You never took your lights down at all last year. And that's okay. We're not, no judgment here, no shame in that game. And then when it comes to Christmas music, again, there's differing starting dates. As, as Ron said, you know, it, it's Thanksgiving, but he goes with you know, what was it, Canadian Thanksgiving, which is October. So that's okay. But it is Christmas time and it is Christmas music time. And I just want to say for those of you who are younger, when I grew up, we would bring out the Christmas records. And I know vinyl's kind of making a comeback with that retro thing. But we didn't listen to these on record players. We listened to these pieces of vinyl on what could be described as a piece of furniture. I mean, it was the size of a coffin. Uh, this, this, hi-fi with the built-in speakers. And the reason they called it solid state is after the nuclear apocalypse, this thing would still be solid. I mean, these things were huge, had names like RCA and Magnavox and Zenith, and we would put the records on that. And one of the records that came out every year that I listened to a lot growing up was a Nat King Cole Christmas. And there were a lot of songs on that that don't get a lot of radio airtime, but I grew up with songs. Songs like Mrs. Santa Claus, a great song. Or, or uh, I'm the Happiest Christmas Tree, which is a fun little jingle. Or the, the, little, uh, you know, the little Christmas Tree, which is kind of this, kind of a Christmas tree self-help song, just believing in this tree. And, and then there was this really, if this one wasn't fair, it was called The Little Boy That Santa Claus Forgot. I mean, just a heart-wrenching heart song. But there was a song called Bon Natale, and it spoke of this town in Italy, far away across the sea, in sunny Italy. There's a quaint little town, not a clock has been wound for over a century. They don't know the time or year, and no one seems to care. And this is the reason the Christmas season is celebrated all year. And I grew up thinking, I want to go to that town. I don't care about Italy, but they celebrate Christmas all year long. And some of you would love for that to be the case as well. And we know, we know that if you were to celebrate Christmas all the time, every day, all the year, that it would lose some of the specialness, some of the nostalgia, some of the anticipation, some of the waiting and longing for. We, we get all that. But I want to suggest that while we are not to necessarily celebrate the Christmas season all year, that the reality of the Christmas story and the truths of the Christmas story can be, should be, ought to be experienced, practiced, and lived all year long. And so over the next few weeks, as we lead up to Christmas in this series, All is Bright, and this isn't, that, that makes it sound like this is going to be a sentimental Hallmark series. It's not. But I'm praying that the things we look at over the next three weeks are not things, just tools for us to lead up to Christmas, but things that we can have for the rest of our lives, things that we can live in every day, all the time. 
So the series is, is All is Bright. And as I was thinking about that, when that concept was given to me months ago, I was thinking about different scriptures and lights and candles and different things that would fall into that. And it reminded me of a, of a thing that uh, I want to introduce to a, a friend of mine. That I, I have no idea where he is these days. But a, a guy I met about a quarter of a century ago, about 25 years ago or so. This was the late 90s. We were still in the building on, Cornwall, uh, on uh, Guide Meridian right next to, to the park. And we had, at that time, we had two Saturday night services and three Sunday morning services. We were trying to build this building and raise the funds for it. And there was a gentleman that used to come on Saturday nights every single week. Uh, his name was Bob Quiggle. Uh, in fact, I've got a picture. Remember, this 25 years ago. I got a picture of me and, me and Bob. This is Bob and Bob. Bob Marvel, Bob Quiggle. And Bob Quiggle is a great guy. He would come every Saturday night. He was mostly a homeless guy, except when things got really cold like they are right now. Uh, and I don't know where he got his money, but he would go and rent a room at the Lions Inn Motel, which is now Heliotrope, but then it was a Lions Inn Motel. And he would go on cold nights, otherwise probably at the mission. And he would come every Saturday night. And after the Saturday night service, often he would kind of wait around. And I got to know Bob, got to kind of just, and he was a real likable guy. What I loved about him is like, what you see is what you get. He didn't try to pretend to be something he wasn't, just authentic, here's this, this guy. And a lot of times on Saturday nights, he would ask for a ride, whether it be down to the Mission or over to the uh, Lions Inn Motel. But most often, it was north of the guide to a restaurant that is now, I think, it's called the Slow Pitch Pub. But at the time, it was called Eleni's. It's a Greek restaurant. And he would go to Eleni's. He loved Eleni's because they would allow him to go in and order a cup of coffee and stay as long as he wanted. And at that time, they were one of the few restaurants that still had a smoking area. And he would love to go order a cup of coffee and spend hours there smoking. And so I would drop him off. And occasionally I would go in with him and we would go and sit there. And, and, and I don't like coffee and I, and I don't smoke. But if, and I got to be careful when I say this, but if you ever saw Bob Quiggle smoke a cigarette, it'd make you want to start. I mean, it was like he took, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say that. He took such, it was like his only pleasure in life as he smoked. You know, it's like, this guy is really into that cigarette. Anyway, I don't smoke uh, cigarettes or any other herbs for that matter. Just let's set the record straight. Nor should you. Okay, good, okay, good. I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole. I should have never dug myself in in the first place. So we're sitting there. This is a long setup. This is not worth the story, but it's fun, isn't it? Okay, so we're sitting there at Elaney's and he's going through all this stuff and I'd found out as I'd gotten to know him over the years that he had been estranged from his family, had a wife and two children in Colorado, and he had resigned himself to the fact that he would probably never see them again because of some of his choices, because of some of his actions, and he owned the responsibility of that. And so one night we're standing there, sitting there at, at Eleni's, and I'm kind of half joking. I said, um, Bob, you think you'll ever get married again? And he, made, and the, the, he was so funny without trying to be. He just looked at me and said, not a tooth in his mouth, by the way. He said, girls like me at night, but when they see me in the day, they go away. <laughs> I love that. You know, darkness covers over a multitude of facial infractions or whatever. I mean, it's just like, for him, the daylight, all is not bright. Things are better when you can't really see. Buy my car at night. Look at my lawn at night. Look at Bob Quiglin. I mean, it's all good at night because there's something like when the day thing, it, it revealed the truth. It, it showed what it kind of showed what it really was. And in this series that we're going to look at, and, and all is bright, and I, I mentioned it, it's not a sentimental series. I, I want us to look at some truths that can also bring us hope. I mean, you think about this. The very phrase, all is bright, comes from the song, Silent Night. 
So how do you have this juxtaposition of the night and bright, and how do those come together? And what I think we'll see is that the truth of this is that in the night there can be this brightness, and I think that's best summarized by John when he writes this in John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. There is darkness, not denying the darkness, but the light shines in it. And here's my best kipism. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, these six words, the light shines in the darkness. Because in the presence of light, everything changes. The presence of light changes everything. I mean, I, I read an article about why it is we, and we as adults, feared the dark. Explained as children, but why some of us never get beyond that. And this psychologist began to explain, it's not darkness itself that we fear. What we fear is that darkness masks the unknown. We don't know what threats are out there. So we feel vulnerable. We feel exposed because we don't know what's hiding out in the darkness. And, I, and so we, we have this fear and we have these worries and we get weary because of all of this, because of the uncertainty and the unknowns and all those things that cause us to fear. And I wonder if, like whatever girls were in Quiggle's life, that some of the fears in the day would go away because the light changes everything. So I want us to look and I, at this whole concept of all is bright and, and in the night and that the light shines in the darkness. And I want us to go way back. And when I say way back, I'm not just talking 2,000 years back to the Christmas story. We will talk about that in a minute. And I'm not just talking about 700 years before that with the prophecies that pointed to the Christmas story. We'll, we'll look at that. I'm talking about going way back. Let's go way back to the very start. In the beginning, it says, where God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, the second verse in the Bible, it says this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. I so wish I had a voice that could read that verse the way it should be read. I just don't. I mean, I read it, you know. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That's not how that verse needs to be read. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That's how that needs to be read. It's not just a lack of light. There's an emptiness. There's a void. You can feel this darkness. You can taste it. You can smell it. All of your senses, there's this darkness over the deep. And you wonder if this deep is just still or if there's waves or if it's just a glass. And it's just it's so dark. You've never been in such darkness. But wait, there's something. There's something. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. The Spirit, the pneuma. The, the very breath of God. Are you scared? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The light shines in the darkness. He says, let there be light. There's no sun yet. He hasn't created that according to this narrative yet. But he says there is light. And there is that light. Because of this light now, everything's changed. Now that there's light, there's energy, and there's beauty, and there's life, 
And he spoke it, his, the logos, the word of God. In the beginning was the word of God. He speaks like the word Jesus speaks it and there's light. And then his evaluation of this first thing that he has spoken in the very beginning of creation, verse four, God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And now this light has shined in the darkness. It's beautiful. God's created, it's good. And now if you fast forward, I mean like way forward, go through the laws, go through the kings, go through the judges, go through the prophets, go through the 400 years of silence, go through the gospels, go through the early church, get to the very end. And this man, John, has a vision of things that will be, things that are to come, when God sets all things right. And in this vision that he sees, he sees this city, the city where we will dwell, this new Jerusalem. And he speaks about this city that he sees and says this in Revelation 21 at the end of the Bible. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp, the lamb is the lamp. You see this from the beginning to the end that God creates this light. And when he speaks the word, the logos, the word is light and it is good. And at the very end, there it is that the glory of God is the light and the lamb itself is the lamp. From creation to glorification, it's light, it's beautiful, it's good. It's God's perfect creation. And if that was the extent of the story, amen, let's go home. But somewhere between creation and glorification is this area that we live. And what started off so beautiful and so perfect and so filled with light and life changed in Genesis chapter 3 because there was sin. And now for the first time, there's fear and there's guilt and there's shame and there's blame and there's division. And this perfect world that God has created is now cursed and with the curse, there's this uprise of, of violence and oppression, of injustice and inequality and death and disease and famines and war, evil and darkness. It's a very, very dark world. And in this very dark world, you can look for all the answers and all of man's wisdom and all the knowledge and all their advances and, and all the efforts that we can put together to try to fix this darkness, but nothing we, nothing we can think or imagine or do can fix the darkness of this fallen, broken, dark, and evil, sinful world. And Isaiah says, you can look anywhere you want to try and find the answer. In Isaiah, he says this, chapter 8, verse 22, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they'll be thrust into outer darkness, utter darkness. Not just, not just fear, but fearful gloom. It's one thing to be afraid, but to be afraid and hopeless and to have utter darkness, that's the state of our world. That's the condition of humanity in this darkness. It's like it's the world's night before Christmas. Or as Tim Burton would say, nightmare before Christmas. Now, it's true that this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, I mean, we experience greater darkness as the earth on its axis tilts farther away from the sun. Our days are shorter and our nights are longer. But it's not just that physical darkness. It's a much deeper darkness. 
All you have to do is watch the news and see that on the world's uh, stage, there is darkness and evil and war and, and, and oppression that's happening on every continent. It's the condition of our world. You look in our nation, there's such division and such pain and so much violence and so much horrible things. It's a dark nation. You look in our, even our local situation, there's dark things that are happening. The truth is this. Sometimes you don't have to look at things globally or even nationally or even locally. Because sometimes just personally, there's darkness. There's fear. There's worry. There's heaviness. There's weariness. And I have to believe that in a room with this many people, some of you are there right now. And what makes matters worse is to have that kind of a darkness in this season sometimes almost magnifies it. When there's supposed to be so much joy and celebration and inside, you've got a circumstance, you've got a situation, you've got a, a diagnosis, you've got a family situation, a relationship that failed, you've got a loss in your life, you've got this fine, you've got all these things. And everyone's cheering and happy and all this joy, and you're not. I don't know what you're going through. But I know what I've gone through in some dark Christmases in my life. The Christmases of 1990 and 91 were dark Christmases for me. I was going through a separation that would end in a divorce that I didn't want. And those were very difficult Christmases. To be alone on those Christmas mornings. Especially that second one when it looked like hope was less. Those were dark Christmases. In 2006, on Christmas morning, in the wee hours of Christmas morning, 2 a.m., when we got a phone call that my wife's mother had passed away unexpectedly. 1 a.m., Christmas morning. And we have to get up and have Christmas morning, and her mom just died. That was a dark Christmas. Less than a year later, on December 7th, 2007, I got a phone call that my 71-year-old father had passed away. So we were preparing for Christmas and a funeral at the same time. It was a dark, heavy Christmas. This is two years ago in 2020, and not only were there the losses of COVID and all of that, but there was some personal family issues that I was dealing with. And I want to tell you, it was a very, very dark Christmas for me that year. So we live in a dark world. And it's not just out there. Sometimes it's right here. Carl Sagan, who is an uh, astrophysicist, and an astrobiologist, and a cosmologist, not a cosmetologist, that's different. <laughs> and, and he was an astronomer. And he was a devout atheist. And I say he was a devout atheist, but he died and he's no longer an atheist, I'll just say that. But he's best known for his PBS program called The Cosmos. But Carl Sagan said this. He said, our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. 
in our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Cheery little statement, isn't it? I'm thinking Hallmark ought to hire him. Put together a whole line of cards to to depress people. You feeling good here? Here's a Carl Sagan card. Now, some of you right now are saying, well, Bob, you're not much better. You went through all the dark Christmases of your life. And Isaiah doesn't help. He says all this fearful gloom and despair and distress and all this utter darkness. It's the reality. We live in a dark world. I love, however, what Isaiah says. You know, we have the Bible broken into chapters and verses. Isaiah didn't write that way. He says, I'm going to write out three chapters today. That's good enough. I'm going to do some. No, he just wrote straight through. And yes, he does write it at chapter 8, verse 22, of this fearful gloom, of this utter darkness. But then he changes things with one word. It's a, it's a conjunctive adverb. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Yes, here's this, but in spite of this, despite these circumstances, in light of all that, nevertheless, there's a turn, there's a twist. So you're saying there is a chance. Nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. He's pointing to a day that will come, a day when the darkness will be dispelled, a day when things will be set right, a day when the light will prevail. And he talks about this. And as a prophet of God, he's not only foretelling, but he's foretelling what's going to happen. And he knows that it's from God and with such certainty, absolute confidence that if God promised it, God will answer that promise. If God said it, he will fulfill it. He is so certain that as he's prophesying this, he begins to change the tenses from a future tense to a present tense to a past tense. It's as he's saying this, it's almost as if it's, he knows it's going to happen It's already been declared. It is going to happen. It has happened. We just haven't seen it yet. So he says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. He said, yes, this is coming in the day, but it's already been spoken. It's already a done deal. Those in deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's a new day. And you hear that story and you say, that's vaguely familiar to me. A story of a creation that's perfect and beautiful and wonderful. And then something happens and it's, it's cursed and it's dark and it's evil and it's hopeless. But then someone from the outside comes in with some act of love or some sacrificial act, does something and reverses the curse and brings it back to the way it was. It, well, that... That sounds like all the fairy tales we grew up with. That, that's like Sleeping Beauty. It's like Snow White. It's like Frozen. It's like Beauty and the Beast. This is just a precursor to all the legends, to all the fairy tales. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, what we have in this story is not just another one of the legends. It's not just the first fairy tale. It's the underlying truth and the reality that all the fairy tales point back to. Because of this truth, we know there's something in us that longs for it, that it must be true. And so we fabricate these stories and they tell the story of the ultimate truth. That this curse would be reversed by this act of love, by this act of sacrifice, and that it would be renewed, it would be restored. 
And Isaiah prophesies this. And then people wait. This advent, this long expected waiting, come thou long expected, you know, here we are waiting for this Messiah. And they wait for a couple of hundred years and then things go silent. You talk about a silent night. For 400 years, there's no word from the Lord. There's no new prophets. It's just quiet. But they wait. Is he even here? Does he still hold to what he said? Should we believe? Are we, what are we waiting for? But as it got closer, God begins to speak again. In John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This world that's shrouded in darkness, this world that is blanketed with fear because of all of this curse, it would cause us to cower and to live in fear and, and to not want to get out of bed in the morning. If you take that imagery of you just want to stay in bed with the covers over your head because it's so dark and it's because it's so afraid, like we just, just want to stay there. And Isaiah, if you use that imagery, Isaiah says, get out of bed. Isaiah chapter 60 says this, arise, don't stay in bed, shine, get those covers off your head. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. I love that. See, darkness covers the earth, doesn't deny it. And thick darkness, thick, none of that decaf darkness. This is thick darkness. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But, just like nevertheless, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. He says, arise, the glory of the Lord, the Lord rises upon you. When I reread those verses this year, it made me think of a, of a story that I heard growing up. It was a story that our family still tells. It was a story that happened to our family before I was born, about a year before I was born. I may have been conceived. I may have, it, that really has nothing to do with the story. I wasn't alive is what I'm trying to say. It's about 1962. Uh, our family lived in Ruston, Louisiana. And my mom, my, my father's mother, uh, she lived in Oklahoma. She came to visit our family. And um, her name was Lucille. I didn't know that until I was really old because we just called her Mama Seal. Apparently we could not pronounce the name Lucille, so she was just always Mama Seal. And so Mama Seal had come to visit us, and they were taking her back to her home in Oklahoma. On the way, you know, they have to drive that, that path back. They stop for gas, fill up the tank, empty the bladders, and keep back on the road. And as they were at this one gas station, Mama Seal went in to use the restroom, and she came out and she said, there's a bird in that bathroom. They ought to do something about that. And so my mom and my little sister, well, she's my older sister, she was two at the time, walk into the bathroom. And as they walk into this bathroom, apparently the bird now wants to make its break, but comes from wherever it was and lands on my mom's head. And my two-year-old sister just points and says, on you, on you, on you. That's all she can say is on you, on you. And I thought about that. As Isaiah comes along and he says, the glory of God, on you. He's risen, on you. Yeah, you've got this on you. He, he's, it's on you that you're in darkness, but this glory and the light of God is on you. And the beautiful thing about this is that this light is not just some kind of metaphorical talk. The light isn't some kind of aura. The light isn't some kind of power. The light isn't a what, it's a who. And I'm not talking Mary Lou who from Whoville. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. From creation, when the word, the logos said there's, there's light, 
to the glorification where the lamb is the lamp. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is that light. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. So now when we say that the light shines in the darkness, the light is Jesus who shines into our darkness. So let's get to this Christmas story. Because while we love the little nativity scenes and all the songs that go with it, it was a pretty dark night, especially for Joseph, I would say. Mary as well, but maybe more so for Joseph. Because Joseph has this young woman that he loves and wants to spend the rest of his life with. And she comes telling this crazy story that no one would ever believe. And she's pregnant, which breaks his heart, partly because he knew her to be a righteous woman. Why would she do that? He knows it's not his. He feels betrayed. And now she's saying it's of God. Come on, Mary. I mean, best case scenario, she's lying to him, which breaks his heart. More likely, she's completely lost it. On top of that, the life that he had dreamed of, the plan to spend the rest of her days with her, is gone. And he wants to do this in a quiet way because he, he doesn't want to harm her any more than she's brought on herself. The heartbreak that he deals with, the death of the dream, the betrayal of a loved one, being lied to, all of these thoughts. And then Matthew records that one night the angel appears to him, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Man, every time the angels show up, they say that. Hey, don't not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's push pause there. We just spent 11, 12 weeks looking at Joshua. If you remember, which I don't expect you all to remember, Joshua was a Hebrew name, but the Greek version of Joshua was Jesus, Yeshua. It's the same meaning. The Lord is salvation. You are to give him the name, Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua. The Lord is salvation. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The darkest dark that we can bring upon ourselves, the dark of our shame, the dark of our guilt, the dark of our fears and our punishment, he's going to save us from that, that this light will shine into our darkness. But he goes on, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm so glad that the angel didn't say, and you'll give them the name, some other name, which means God is mad at us. Or some other name, which means God is judging us. Or some other name that God is through with us. I'm glad he didn't even give him a name of things that are true, that God created us, God watches us, God's aware of us, God loves us. No, 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 it's that one word, with. God is with us. See, it's the withness of God in our lives, the light that shines in our darkness that allows us to walk through those dark nights, through those deep valleys, through those seasons. It's the way it's always been. All through scripture. 
You think about the other Joseph, the one with the coat and the colors. When you think about his dark life, I don't care what your brothers and sisters did to you. His brothers sold him at a rummage sale. That's dark, friends. Not only did they sell him, but now he's a slave. He maintains his integrity. And you know what? Some middle-aged cougar coming after him, he denies her. She lies about him, and he gets thrown in jail for, for doing the right thing. And he's lied about. He's overlooked in jail, and there he spends not only days and weeks and months and years and maybe decades. And it's interesting that in all of that dark chapters of his life, there's a phrase that's repeated three or four times. And the Lord was with him. The circumstances were dark, but the Lord was with them. When Moses was called to stand before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and ask him to let his free labor go, and he's scared to death, and God promises that he will go with him when he's going to leave them. He promises to go with them when they go in, promises to go with him. And then when Joshua takes over, what does he say? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God with us. Isaiah, again, Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 23, it says, Even, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens... He's with me. If I make my bed in the depths, he's with me. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will hold me, your right hand will hold me fast and guide me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness is not dark to you for the night will shine like the day. He's with us and he is the light that shines in our darkness. So the truth is this, the truth of Christmas that we can and should experience and live every single day is this truth. But you don't have to walk alone. He's with you. I love how Matthew starts his book telling about Emmanuel, God with us, And at the very end, he has Jesus saying, oh, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Bookends, that he's with us. David, David had some dark chapters in his life. Some times where there was enemies that were pursuing him and times where there was friendly fire that, the king that he served and tried to help was after him and all this difficulty. And in all this, he goes through all these attacks, this, this dark season on the run by himself, away from family and friends. And at the end of it, he writes a psalm. It's a psalm you will not find in the book of Psalms. You find it in 2 Samuel. It's a beautiful psalm. And in 2 Samuel, he re- writes this psalm. And I want to read you one of these lines from it. It says, 2 Samuel 22, verse 29. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord 
turns my darkness into light. So, with this truth of Christmas, I want to give us a challenge, not just for this Christmas season, but it's going to start now. One is to hold on to these truths. You say, oh, there's so much going on, another challenge. Listen, I don't want to add anything to your schedule at all. What I want to do is challenge you to observe something and connect to something you're already observing. Let me try to explain it this way. This time of year, there are lights on everything. There are lights on houses, there are lights on trees, there are lights on hats, there are lights on sweaters, there are lights on fences, there are lights on cars, there's lights on everything. Some of them are nice, some of them are thrown up, some of them never came down, but there's lights everywhere. Lights on poles, lights everywhere. So you cannot help but see these lights. And this is what I would challenge you to do at least once a day. Not every time, but once a day, when you look and you say, oh, look, there's a light on that house, or there's a light on that tree, or there's light on that. There's and I want you to just say, on you, on you. There's a light on you. And not only that, but that light is with you because the light shines in our darkness. So to just do that, to remind yourself. Last night after church, I, I went home and I got our Christmas lights up early this year and our trees up. And I drove in and I, I just, I love coming in our driveway now to see that. And I, I got in the house last night. My wife had been at church and I got in the house and I said, you know what? I, I love coming home and just seeing those lights on our house. And she said, on you. I'm like, whoa, whoa, easy. <laughs> now, don't, don't use it as a weapon. <laughs> and don't put any word in front of on you. So, okay. But just to remind ourselves, the Lord rises upon you. His light is upon you. He is with you. And because of that, our light, Jesus, shines in our darkness. And we can go forward with confidence. This is how I want to close. And I don't want to embarrass anybody at all. I really don't. But I do know that some of you are going through a dark season right now. And I know that for some of you, you're actually probably dreading all the cheer, all the holiday stuff, all the things you have to go to. You just, and I don't know what the circumstances is. I just want to pray for you. And this is what I'm going to ask. If you want to just acknowledge, man, it's, this is a dark year for me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm, it's a silent night, whatever it might be. Would you just raise your hand? We, we'll, we don't need to know any details. Would you just raise your hand? And if, again, just keep them up. And when you see these hands, would you just, people around, would you put a, sh a hand on a shoulder? Could, and get up and get out of your chair if you need to. There's some folks here. Could we just do that? Here and here. Could we just get some people to put a hand on their shoulder? Okay, and up here. Back here in the back. Back here in the back. Can we just, as a community, pray together? Jesus, we thank you that you are the light that shines in our darkness. And we know that there will come a day when you will set all things right and when the darkness will be dispelled. But until that day, we live in a fallen, broken, dark, sinful world. And Jesus, you know every individual that was brave enough to raise their hand and just say, this is a tough one for me this year. 
You know the circumstances. You know the situations. You know the loss. You know the despair. You know the feeling of hopelessness that they're experiencing. And Jesus, I pray that they would know not only in their head, but deep in their soul, that you're with them. That your grace is sufficient. That you'll never leave them or forsake them. That they would sense your light shining in their darkness. And Father, I pray that you would give them the strength and the grace to keep their eyes on you, continue to lean into you, and trust you in this dark season. And Father, I pray that you would be at work in their circumstances and situations, and some of them will change and some of them will not. But in all of it, that you have promised you will go with them. Thank you for your light that is on them and with them in their darkness. I pray this in your name. Amen.